And with all that, could I welcome um, a very, again, a well-respected man in our community. Please come, Neil. Um, many of you know him, beautiful theologian, kind man, kind friend, and he is going to be sharing in our last in the series of Peace of Mind. Thank you, Debbie. I just wanted to make sure she was talking about me before I walked up. <laughs> Morning, everybody. It's good to be able to share just with you today. So about uh, 14, 15 years ago, I also went through a, quite a life-altering experience while I was part of this community and this church. Um, what had happened is, for many years, I'd been working really, really hard. I'd been pushing long. I hadn't taken rests. I wasn't very responsible in terms of making sure that I took breaks. Uh, my wife and I had been working 16, 17 hours days for very long because we just basically overcommitted ourselves and got involved in too many things because we just wanted to say yes to Jesus for everything, um, which was good, but we didn't you know, always manage our, our, our resting and our things so well. So I ended up in a place, uh, also went through some you know, really traumatic events. Both my parents died within four months of each other quite unexpectedly. And so you know, things that happen in life happened, but they built up. And in my life, I'd never built uh, a resilience to be able to process and handle that well. I'd always been one of those people who, you know, if you needed to go the extra kilometer, I was probably the one who was going to make it. When everyone else was saying, I would go, no, I think I can do one more. Um, I think yep, that was part of God's grace on my life, but it also came to a place where I hadn't managed that well. So I ended up in a place of uh, stress-related burnout. I just came to a place where I couldn't anymore. Um, I knew I'd been pushing hard, and I knew I was exhausted, and, and we knew we were tired and things like that. But where the penny really dropped for me is one day we were dri I was driving home. Actually, I was alone on this occasion. And about halfway home, I was driving and I was you know, feeling the stress. My body was literally tight and I started crying like a baby. I was 30-something years old. It was highly inappropriate. But I cried like a baby and I didn't know why I was crying. I just came to this place where I realized I'm at the end of myself. And so after reading a bit and learning and things like that, uh, I realized that I was on one of the stages of burnout, and I had to come to a place to stop. And I had to actually, for myself now, humble myself and actually come to my leaders and say, listen, it's too much, I can't anymore. And then I also experienced the kindness of this community where my leaders could go, well, you're much more important than what you do to us. And they gave me some time off to just to reset and to recharge. And then I also had to do a journey just in my soul. I had to do some work in my soul to figure out why was I pushing so hard and, you know, I realized I had some dysfunctions and things, just, you know, nothing serious. Um, as we all do, remember Pastor Louis spoke about that our mental health, our mental wellness is often on a range. And I'd come to a place where I just wasn't in a good space. And I was loved and I was cared for and I was able to actually, which is uncommon in lots of cases of burnout, come back and to pick up again the, just the work and responsibilities. And so as we end our series, as Debbie mentioned today, on peace of mind, we want to talk today and it's the title of my message about dealing with stress. Now, I'll probably talk a little bit more general, but try and do some specific applications in the area of dealing with stress. And I wonder, as you're sitting here this morning, what's your story about stress? Perhaps you've experienced burnout like me, or perhaps even more serious than, than my situation. It could have gotten much worse. Um, but maybe you're fine, or, uh, you know, where are you on your stress journey? How do you deal with stress, and how do you bring that 
into your faith and into your Christian space and into the Christian community. And so I really feel the series we've done over the last four weeks has been so, so valuable. And I would encourage you, if you've missed any of the sessions, just to pick it up. I think there's been such significant, important things shared with us so that we can become a community and a place that God wants us to be able to be whole life disciples, where every element and every aspect of our lives we can bring to God and we can engage with one another in these spaces as well. So can you turn with me? Hello. Who do you belong to? Okay. <laughs> okay. You're so welcome. W won't you go with Auntie Debbie? There we go. Whole new level of belonging, yeah? Um, since we've been quite a bit in the Psalms this morning, we had a prophetic word from the Psalms, we sang songs from the Psalms, perhaps it's then too also appropriate to, and if you can turn with me to Psalm 139, 139, Psalm 139, I just want to land an important thing there that's in the text that we can remember. This is a very rich Psalm, there's too much in here for me to share today, so I'm just going to try and highlight and focus just on one element of this. And so we'll read quite a few verses, we'll skip a few, but I'll, I'll take you through it. Let's start in Psalm 139 and verse 1. The psalmist writes and he says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And I'm just going to pause there because I do want to read further. But really important, I want to use, if you can hear almost nothing else I say this morning, there's other things would be great if you could hear too, but if you hear nothing else, hear these words, God knows you. Can you look perhaps to the person if they're not too strange next to you and just say, God knows me. Okay. Let's get back to the text. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. God knows your thoughts. You discern my going out and my lying down, and you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Let's drop down to verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When you were in your mother's womb, God had his eyes on you. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Some commentators say that you can read that as God thinks about you. Isn't that nice? God thinks about you a lot. Vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. And in the last two verses, verse 23 and 24, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. God knows your anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me 
according to the, in the way everlasting, everlasting. So one of the things that's clear for me, at least from this psalm, is that we are wonderfully made. We're knitted together, we're woven, we're these integrated beings that Pastor Mabati spoke about a number of weeks ago. God put us together in just the way that he wanted. God made you and he knows you. And that means that he knows what is best for you and how you best work. He knows our thoughts and he also made us wonderfully. And so this speaks also to our self-worth. And in all this intricacy and complexity of being a spirit, a soul, having a spirit, a soul, and a body, and how those work together and how that all fits together, it's wonderful to understand that God knows that, even if we don't understand. Excuse me. Now, as researchers and doctors and medical scientists have done research on the human body, we know so much more than we knew hundreds of years ago. We know more today than we knew a decade ago. As they've been studying how our minds work, we understand things better now than we did five or six decades ago as well. And what we're only beginning to learn and to discover, and I think those things are wonderful and they are valuable and they are needed, but what we're only learning to understand, God knew. And God has always known about you. You know, sometimes you go, I, you know, I don't understand myself or what's going on in my emotions. God knows better than you do about how you work and how you were made. And so, as we're talking about stress today, maybe let me just give a bit of a quick overview, just that we're all on the same page. So what is stress? So I googled this, so you could do the same and learn many wonderful and interesting things that are way beyond the time that I have to share. But one of the things that seems to be clear about stress is that it's actually a biological or a physiological response in your body when your brain perceives something as dangerous or important or threatening. Isn't it wonderful that God made you, that he made us able to respond in these ways to threats and to deadlines and to things that are going on around us. And as God made us this way, uh, what happens is, is that when your brain perceives this danger, it releases various chemicals and hormones into your body. Uh, as I understand it, which is limited, two of the main ones would be adrenaline and cortisol, and they give you that surge of energy and clarity of focus. So, you know, sometimes when you get that fright or flight syndrome, when you threaten, that surge, that you know, it helps you jump over fences and throw cars off your kids and, you know, all these legendary stories we read about on YouTube. That clarity focus energy is part of your brain flooding your body so that you can cope with the stressful stimulus that comes against you. Isn't it wonderful that God made us to be able to cope? But also in the way God made us, what should help happen when this healthy kind of stress comes is that there's a time when the, the levels of adrenaline and cortisol and all those things go down in our bodies and we come back to a place of peace. So that's a healthy kind of stress. Now where stress becomes unhealthy is when our bodies don't relax, when those levels drop, when we keep spiking and keep spiking and we have one deadline after another deadline and one traumatic event or one major event after another over and over and then we never rest and then that starts really having a very negative effect, both on your mental health, on your emotional health, and on your physical health as well. And so there is a certain level of stress for us which is healthy, which we need. So if you've made it the goal of your life to live stress-free, I'm sorry. Okay, you need a little bit of stress. It's to help you make that deadline to maybe help you avoid a car accident or get out of danger in certain ways. So we shouldn't be living to eliminate stress. There's a healthy level of stress. But what we should be learning to do is to find healthy and, and godly ways to manage our stress, to get those 
adrenaline levels and all those other fancy levels down so that we can come back to a place of rest and peace. And so, and I understand it's much more complex than this, but just to help us give a little bit of context, what I also learned is there's different kinds of stress that you can have in your life and different causes of stress that can happen as well. So there's something like acute stress where, uh, you know, a traumatic event happens, maybe it's an accident or bereavement and your body spikes, the levels spike and you get the energy and your mind is clear and focused and all those things happen, that would be acute. And the idea then again is that the levels have to drop. But sometimes we enter seasons of life where the, some of the mental health professionals will tell us we talk about episodic stress where the stress has been going on for a season, you know, one event, one deadline. And it's very important when we recognize that we're in that kind of season that we be sure to find ways and spaces to create opportunity. And I'll try and give you some thoughts on that towards the end of this message to bring those stress levels down. But if we're in a prolonged time of stress, prolonged relational difficulties, prolonged uh, unrealistic deadlines, prolonged traumatic experiences that happen to us, we come to this place where we can have what's called chronic stress. That stress has just become part of our lives. And then as I found myself and many others, and perhaps you find yourself or have found yourself there, you come to a space where you just see there's no way out. This is my life. This is where I live. This is what's expected. And we lose the ability to control our stress levels completely because we, uh, our bodies just can't reset anymore. And so when we talk about causes of stress, there's probably as many causes of stress as there are people in the room today. You might find stress from just relational difficulties. Marriage, yes, marriage can be stressful. I remember before we got married, we had a very well-planned wedding. All I had to do the day before I got married was fetch the teaspoons. This is not a difficult task on a normal day. But the day before I got married, I had to fetch them at a certain time. Time's not a problem for me. I work with God on time. We understand each other. But there was a certain time I had to fetch it. But for like two hours before I had to leave, I sat there watching because I was stressed. It was wonderful. It was a good stress. I think I ate, yeah? Yeah, okay. But I was so exhausted from collecting teaspoons, I nearly died. <laughs> because that's the effect that stress can have on us. So... Um, there's different causes of stress. Maybe it's social. Maybe it's because of your health. You've had some news and that's causing an ongoing stress in your life. Different life events. I think finances would be something we all understand can cause stress. And what stresses you might be completely different from what stresses other people around you. And so sometimes we judge others. What are you stressed about? Well, for them, that's what causes stress. And you'll have your own idiosyncrasy or weirdness where you get stressed by that. No matter the cause of stress or the kind of stress you're in, what I think the psalm that we read tells us in all of this, in what uniquely stresses you, what uniquely doesn't stress you, God knows you. And not only does he know you, he wants to meet you right where you are. And one of the dangers, I think, when we get stressed is we, for, we isolate ourselves, we withdraw. And I think that one of the habits, the skills we need to learn is to invite God into those stressful places. Lord, I'm seeing this person again. I've got this deadline. There's this meeting. My boss is coming. Invite God into the places where you find uh, that cause stress or the places you find stressful in your life. Now, in this whole idea of God making us, something that's, I think, very important to remember is that God made your mind. He made your mind fearfully and wonderfully. Now, you might say, particularly if you're battling in the area of mental health. Really? Yes. 
God made your mind. And maybe there's some things you need healing in or some different thought patterns you need to know. But I want you to understand that however you think and wherever you are on the range of mental wellness, God made your mind and he knows it. And it's often in our minds, particularly in all issues, but also in the area of stress, the battle is fought in our minds. Not so. It's in our thoughts. The, the, the thoughts that come to us, the thoughts, excuse me, the thoughts we entertain, often the battle is fought in our minds. And the God understands that battle as well. And so we have to learn the habit and the discipline of battling unhealthy thoughts. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> Let's blame it on COVID. <clears throat> I don't have COVID, but since I had COVID, I battle with this. So, and I've done all I know to do and prayed. Okay. <clears throat> so we need to learn to limit unhealthy thoughts in our life. And so what I want to do is to just look at three scriptures that land some principles for us. I'm going to go through them super quickly. Uh, just so that we land it, and then I want to talk a little bit about some biblical thinking uh, patterns and right, right ways to think in this area. So these are some general principles. They apply to stress. They apply to any other area of mental health. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. All the scriptures will come up on the screens as well. Uh, in this context, I know Paul is writing quite a bit about spiritual warfare, but he says very, some, something very important about our thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then the focus part of the verse, we take captive every thought. Did you read the word every there? We take captive every thought to the obedience, to obedience to Christ. There's thoughts which are unhealthy and not good for us. They're ungodly thoughts. And we should not entertain them when we should take them captive in obedience to Christ. How do I do that? It's a little bit of self-discipline. And some of the other scriptures I'll read now will help make that clearer too. But there's some thoughts I go, Jesus, I'm not going to allow myself to think that. I'm not going to go down this pathway of depression again. I'm not going to allow that to happen. You see, part of the wonder of how God made our minds, as I understand it, and neuroscientists and people like that will know more, is that your brain can keep growing. I think they talk about neuroplasticity. So as you think in a certain way, your brain actually starts developing neurons, brain cells, that form pathways in your brain. Your brain starts getting wired according to how you think in patterns. So if you, let's say you start wondering if your boss or the teacher at school or an important person likes you, and you start going, oh, I don't, I'm not so sure. And you, what happens is your brain, it starts this little pathway of wonder. I don't know if you've ever been in the bush and you've seen a game path. They're not always so clear. It's just a little faint path. Now what happens is the more you think, the more your brain builds pathways in that direction. And so then the little game path becomes a little hiking trail. Now, I'm, I'm really sure this person doesn't like me. They, uh, they've got it in for me. And then that gets reinforced and reinforced. And every time you see them, your brain goes, how do I respond to this person? And there's a pathway that's developed. And in some places in our lives, that pathway becomes a highway. And it's just the slightest response. And you're off and running, and you're down the track. And this person comes, and you go, you must hate me. And then one day you get really brave and you decide, I've got to settle this. You know, I'm convinced they hate me. I'm convinced they've got it in for me because you're, you've repeated a thought pattern in your brain so long. And you go to the person and you say, you know, what have you got against them? They go, who are you? <laughs> Which might make the point. But, um, and you've developed this whole way of thinking about a situation. You've allowed your brain to become wired. 
And actually, it's not rooted in necessarily what's true. And so when we take our thoughts captive, part of that is, is that we want the neural pathways that God has so wonderfully made in our brain to be aligned with a godly and a holy way of thinking. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 also helps and speaks to this a little bit. Philippians 4 verse 8, Paul writes to the Christians in Philippi and he says, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So you can also train yourself or discipline yourself to think about things that are good and not bad, even when there's load shedding. Because, you know, these, uh, I love Pastor Louis' analogy in the first series that he said, he says, God has given us a barometer of our mental wellness in South Africa. We just look at the level of load shedding. Isn't it amazing how it affects us and affects our mental health? We can think on good things and positive things. We can set our minds. We can train our minds to think in that way because it's the wonder of how God has made us. We can think in that way. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 is also another helpful scripture in this regard. Second Timothy 1 verse 7. Paul writes again and he says, for the spirit, and in most of your Bibles you'll see that that spirit is capital. Yes, they got it right. Okay, Because this commentators generally agree that he's talking here about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that God has given us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. In some of the older translations, it says a sound mind. It's such an interesting uh, Greek word there. It's, as far as I understand, it's only used once in the Bible, but it has this idea let me just say it correctly, about wise discretion. So self-discipline is actually a, a better translation of it. God has given you the spirit. So when you're battling to hold your thoughts captive, when you're battling to think on things that are true, just, and noble, God's spirit in you can come and he can give you the power and the wise discretion you need to think well and to control your thoughts. And so this battle in our mind is not only between truth and lies and wrong things we believe, but it's also about the patterns of thinking that we allow to develop. Now, sometimes as believers, if we're honest, some of our theology doesn't help us think well. Some of our theology actually might even increase our stress instead of bringing us to a place where we can have peace of mind. Uh, one of the reasons would be because our theology is not great. And so whenever we have a theology or a way of thinking about how maybe how God, I use the word theology because it's about thinking about studying God and how God wants us to think, Sometimes we get taught things or we assume things uh, in different contexts that actually aren't perfectly aligned with how God or Scripture sees something. So I want to talk just about four areas where we need to think biblically and think correctly because they'll help us cope with stress. They might help diminish stress in our lives as well. The first one is I think we need to have a good theology of suffering. Amen? Okay. Thanks, Mom Yala. Okay. You need to have a good theology of suffering. Sometimes we come to Jesus, and I, I haven't quite understood why we get here, but sometimes we get here, and we think, because I'm serving Jesus now, I'm exempt from suffering. Because I'm serving Jesus now, my life's actually going to work from this moment on perfectly. Has anyone had that experience? And have been saved for longer than an hour? Okay. All right. So sometimes, I, and that's true, I think our lives are better when we follow Jesus. But that doesn't exempt us from trials. It doesn't exempt us from suffering and from temptation because some of those things are part of life. 
two scriptures help us understand it. There's many others. I just want to read two. Philippians again, chapter 3 and verse 10. Paul writes something interesting and he's reflecting on Jesus here. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. I want to know him when the worship's wonderful and miracles are happening. I want to know Jesus there. But then Paul has enough perspective on life to go, but I also want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. It's interesting. Jesus suffered. Think about the cross. Betrayal, rejection, physical torment, emotional Um, I want to use the word distraught, emotionally distraught. We want to know Jesus in the good and in the power, but we also want to know him when we're suffering. And one of the biggest mistakes we make when we go through suffering and trials and things like that is, is that we think God has left us. Instead of inviting him into the situation, Jesus, I'm really suffering. Can you come? James chapter one and verse two says that we must consider it pure joy brothers and sisters, whenever, not if, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Sometimes just from following Jesus, you're in your front line, you're in your workplace, that place where you want to represent Jesus well, and you get, you get opposition for doing that. That's a trial. And God allows sometimes these things in our lives to build our faith, to build our character. But what is key is that we invite him into those spaces. As Debbie shared last week, when we particularly have suffered trauma and difficult things, One of the key choices we have to make is to invite God into those spaces. So brothers and sisters, if I can just encourage you with one thing, when times get hard, that's the time to know Jesus in the fellowship, not of his sufferings, but of yours maybe. Invite Jesus into those spaces. So sufferings really are, can be a part of life. And if we have a theology that says I shouldn't be suffering, and then we find ourselves in these difficult spaces, our stress levels just go up because you must be doing something wrong. And what's wrong with me? And is God real? And the stress just increases if we don't think biblically correctly. Now, your suffering might be real, but we also all know about um, assumed or imagined suffering. You know, like when you have children, for those of us to do, when you take their screen time away and they suffer and they think they're going to die. And if they carry on like that, they might. But um, that's not real suffering. But what is interesting physiologically is when you feel like you're suffering, that has the same real effects on our bodies. So just remember when your kids are panicking because they've lost their screen time, it's very real for them. Just help them invite Jesus into that space too. Okay. So if we have a wrong theology of suffering, it can really increase stress in our lives. But equally, if we have a wrong theology of success, it sometimes can increase or cause us to be unnecessarily stressed in our lives. And so it's important to understand, does God want you to prosper? Yes. Don't worry. You can say yes to that. But there's sometimes a process and a journey to get to that space. It's interesting, again, we're in Philippians quite a bit at the moment. In chapter 4, verse 11, Paul writes there and he says, uh, I'm not saying this because I'm need, because I've learned to be content in whatever situation I find myself in. Next verse, which I didn't put into the notes, says whether I have, when I'm abound, when I've got a lot in excess and you know, I've got money in the bank, or whether I abase, whether I've got nothing and little and things are tough. The key that Paul says is to learn to be content. And if we have a, a way of thinking that says I can only be content when I reach this, or I can only be content when um, things work out this way, or when church is like this, and when people treat me like that, 
I think what Paul is saying is we need to learn to be content whether we're suffering or whether we're on the mountaintop, whether we're succeeding or not. The important question to ask is, where does your definition or idea of success come from? Does it come from God or does it come more from what's going on around you in the culture? Is your definition of success based on what car you drive, what career you choose, what job you're in? And I think those things are important to God. He has a plan and a, and a place there. But if, if, if you're not driving that car and you go, I should really have that car, what's that doing? Stress. I should become this and not that. But actually, you're just not wired or made for it. What does that do? It makes stress. And so what relieves us of stress is when we pursue God's plan for our life, when we try and figure it out and, and understand and discern where he's leading us to. Because so much stress in our lives is called, caused by chasing after false benchmarks of success. The success we're after is, have I done what Jesus asked me to do? Am I in the place where Jesus wants me to be? Can I get that well done, good and faithful servant? If that becomes my benchmark for success, I'll be in a much healthier place. I want to speak into an area, and I, I think the room might get a little quiet now, so just prepare yourself. We need to think correctly about the demonic and stress and mental wellness. Is that okay? Some of you have been sitting here wondering, yeah, but isn't this all just demons? Okay. What about the demons and mental illness? What about demons and stress and things like that? So I want to speak a cautionary word, if I, I may. I think there's two dangers. The one danger is that you say all stress and any kind of mental illness is demonic. You just need to deliver them, and then they should be fine. What's wrong with them if they aren't? What kind of stress are you putting on people with that? I think the other danger, let me go here for illustrative purposes, is that you go, oh, there's nothing spiritual about this, just sort yourself out. And no, there's no spiritual cause for mental illnesses and things. I think both positions are unhelpful. Can there be a spiritual dynamic involved in someone's mental illness? Well, there may be. Can there be none? Yes, it may just be chemical, neural wiring, traumatic events. There can be many causes. Because we're complex beings, the causes of where we are in our mental health and wellness can be very varied. Okay. I've had this experience. Some of you may know my story. If you don't, just... I grew up in a home that was deeply affected by mental illness. My father suffered mental illness my whole life. As long as I knew him, he was wrestling and battling major, major depression. Uh, yeah, big stuff. And so uh, as God took me on my journey of healing and restoration and I was able to forgive him from my heart for some of the really difficult things that had happened, and as I was able to do that and forgive him and start loving him, our relationship started being restored. This took decades, by the way. And there came an occasion where I had this opportunity where my dad said to me, can you just pray for me and let's make sure this is not spiritual because he also came to this place of understanding that. Now, uh, <laughs> not sure I'd recommend sons praying for their fathers in this situation, but I was there and he was open and I'm gonna do what Jesus asks me to do. But it was awkward, okay. But I prayed for him and came against some demonic and spiritual forces and there was a real deliverance that happened. There was something that changed in his mind. It's like the power of something got broken in his life. But then, linked now to the fourth thing I wanna say and how we think around, biblically around some of these things, 
is there's a very important part that God wants us to renew our minds. Now, renewing that mind is about being transformed to what God wants us to be. But sometimes, particularly like in situations with my father, he developed some neural highways, there weren't no pathways at all, that weren't healthy. And when we addressed the spiritual causes and we broke the power of the demonic, there was a freedom that came where he could rewire some of those things. And in some places, he could develop new thought patterns. In many places, he couldn't. It was just too hard and too, too difficult for him. And so while there was improvement and some things were definitely easier, till the day that he passed away, he really wrestled and battled. And so the caution is this. Don't put a demon behind everything. It's not that simple. But don't be scared to address spiritual causes, perhaps. But when you've addressed that, also involve what we've learned from science and therapists and people who've studied diligently. Most, some of them directed by God, some of them just doing the science and things like that. And so it's important that we think correctly. May there be a spiritual cause? Yes. Is there always a spiritual cause? No. Is it just physical? Maybe, but not always. So there's a tension there that we need to learn to manage and probably a discernment that we need to learn, a biblical discernment in this area. So we need to think correctly about suffering. We need to think correctly about success. We need to be cautious around the demonic and the spiritual things. But we, we can renew our minds. You can really develop godly and new ways of thinking. And some of you have been wrestling with mental illness, and I want to say there's hope. There's a journey. Maybe that's therapy. Maybe that involves medicine and all kinds of things like that. But there's hope because your brain can be rewired. It can learn to think really, really differently. Paul wrote, renew your mind somewhere around AD 55. Already then God knew that your brain can be reshaped and reformed. I think that's pretty cool. Okay. So what can we do to, to deal with stress? And I'll bring this in for a landing quickly. I think one of the first things we need to do when we're dealing with stress is to take personal responsibility. Sometimes we think that all our stresses are external causes, external locuses of control. They're outside ourselves. It's, it's my work, it's my boss, it's my kids, it's my family, it's my marriage. And we put it out, and sometimes, and I think that's true, they, those can be causes of stress. But I think it also starts with us taking responsibility. It's one of the biggest lessons I had to learn in my journey of dealing with stress is that the stress level I allow in my life is up to me. It's not my workplace's fault. It's not my family's fault. They might be stimulus, but I need to learn to manage and learn how to control that. I do need to take responsibility because I have choice that I can engage in. Second suggestion I would make in dealing with stress is to develop holy habits. Develop holy habits. I think we need, particularly in our society where we're so bombarded by so many things, develop the habit of solitude and reflection. I'm so struck by Jesus who, busy, 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 but he would always take time aside to go by himself and to pray. We need to develop that habit where we can reflect and where we can think so that we're not just rushing from one thing to the other, from one crisis to the next, from one stress event to the next in our lives. We need to develop a habit of prayer where we can talk to God completely honestly. You know, Jesus, I, I know you want me to be positive and to think on that which is pure, noble, and just, but today I'm battling. And invite Jesus into those spaces. Honest prayer. I think reading the scriptures is a good habit. Stewardship, looking after what God has given us, particularly stewardship of our time, is a holy habit we need to develop. 
where we learn to manage our time well. Because some folks, we get so addicted to that adrenaline kick that you create crises and you leave things to the last minute. I'm not just talking about procrastination here. You leave things to the last minute so that you have to get the adrenaline kick to get it done. Some of us do that. When I was studying some projects, I just left and I knew, okay, and Saturday I'm going to get so panicked, I'm going to just get it done. Okay. But we need to learn to manage our time well. Perhaps get some coaching in that area as well. We need to set godly boundaries in our lives. Some of us are so concerned for our neighbor and loving our neighbor that we forget to love ourselves. And sometimes we need to put boundaries in place where we can love ourselves so that we can love others well too. Because you see, the Bible doesn't say love your neighbor. It says love your neighbor as you love yourself. So boundaries are important. Thirdly, I think we need to talk more. Okay, we need to talk more. I'll say a little bit about that just now. But we need to talk with others. We need, talking with others can just bring clarity in an amazing way. Um, in the last couple of weeks, I was battling with a specific situation here at work. And, and it was, I was like, I felt my stress. You know when you feel it coming up, yeah? Okay, I felt it, yeah. Okay, my hand in here. Okay. And, and I was battling, and so now I know I must go and pray. So I actually had opportunity. I went to the prayer room over there, and I spent about 20 minutes asking God to forgive me and doing everything I know and asking God to help me. At the end of the 20 minutes, it was here. Okay. I don't know why my prayer didn't work. I was just, no, this is really not right. Like, even God knows it's not right now. So, and then I just, I had the sense, and I actually called um, Ben. I said, Ben, you need to help me. This, I'm, I don't understand. I don't like this. Just give me perspective. I remember using those words. I said, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm feeling. Can you give me perspective? And Ben had the great wisdom to say, I'm not going to answer you now. Just give me five minutes and I'll come back to you. And then he did 10 minutes later. So that lifted my stress. And he said one sentence. He said, Neil, this is what I'm hearing. And as soon as he said it, my perspective flipped. and My stress just went. Because he saw something I didn't see. There's great value in talking to family, to friends, to people. Sometimes that talking involves therapy. Sometimes that talking involves coaching in these areas. The fourth thing I think we must do is walk. Now, I put it in inverted commas because I wanted it to rhyme with talk, which was the previous point, which is not on the screen. But by walk, I mean exercise. What the research shows is one of the best ways to manage stress is to make sure you're getting good exercise because that drops all those healthy that can become healthy chemicals and hormones, unhealthy chemicals and hormones to the good level. So exercise, spend time in nature, uh, walk, look after yourself. And then lastly, the worship team, you guys can join, is, and we've said it on a number of occasions through this series, become part of a community. Invite your family into your space. I was so struck when Pastor Mabati shared a few weeks ago where she says, when we start wrestling with stress, when we start battling with our mental health, one of our things we tend to do is to isolate ourselves. And ironically, that's one of the worst things that we can do is to move ourselves into this place of isolation. And so become part of a community of friends, people you can talk to. Become part of a church community. This was in my notes before I knew about the invitation this morning for belonging as well. But I want to remind us uh, from what Pastor Louis shared with us in the very first week that we spoke about this. He said, what kind of community do we want to be? What kind of community do we want to be as we want to be whole life disciples, we want to invite Jesus into every part of our lives. What kind of community do we want to be? And he shared five things, and I'd like just to remind us this. We want to be a community where we can talk to one another. We want to be a community where we listen. When our friends and our brothers and sisters come and say, just give me perspective. 
We want to be a community that listens. We want to be a community that encourages. Encourages in reality, not like, yeah, it's all going to be okay. Encourages in truth. This is hard. And I understand these thoughts have captured you. And I understand how it's making you feel. I want to, we want to be a community that encourages. We want to be a community that supports. And we want to be a community that prays. I'm so encouraged um, as we start next week, we're going to start a series that will probably take us through to the end of the year on prayer. So we can become a community that prays more and understands about praying a whole lot better. But I'd like to bring us as we close this morning back to Psalm 139. God knows you. He knows every thought. He knows the thoughts you wrestle with. He knows the thoughts that need to be made captive to Christ. He knows the thoughts that increase your stress. And he knows how to help you by the spirit that lives in you. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 1.7. That spirit that God has given you can help you, not just in theory, but in practice. You know, sometimes when I have to speak in public, it's super stressful for me. It's not, it didn't come naturally to me. I had to learn to do this. It's super stressful. And I've learned to invite, Holy Spirit, won't you just come and comfort me? Get these stress levels down. Invite God into those spaces because he knows you and he wants you to have peace of mind. I felt, just as I shared, to pray specifically into, well, as I prepared, sorry, to pray specifically into one area this morning, and that's the area of shame. Often in society, and I think perhaps more sadly in Christian community, there's a stigma that sometimes gets attached to mental health, to things like depression and various other mental illness, illnesses. But there's also sometimes a stigma that gets attached to us in society where we can't, in dealing with stress, where we don't, you know, if you can't deal with stress, you're not man enough or woman enough for this. You know, put on the big boy clothes and suck it up. And so sometimes we have to deal with real stress in our lives and we really battle and we come, as I did, to a place where we're at the end of ourselves. And sometimes that brings shame. Perhaps you grew up like me in a family that was affected by mental health and there was shame there. That was one of the biggest things I had to overcome in my journey as well, was the shame. Because I never felt I could bring friends home because it was always dangerous for me at least in that space. And so I want to pray, I'll pray about dealing with stress, but I want to pray if you're affected by shame in this area of any kind, by association, by personal things or anything like that, and I'm not going to ask you to stand because I don't want to make it harder. But if you do need to stand, because by standing you're saying, I am getting over my shame today, you're welcome to do that. But I'd like to pray, and then we'll worship as we, as we end the service. If you want to just ask the Lord to set you free or break the power of shame in your life, whether it's about mental illness, whether it's about dealing with stress, anything else, once you just receive this prayer. And for those of you who are watching on home, right there where you are, for you as well too. Father, I believe you gave me a mandate to, to pray this prayer. And so where there are people online in the room that are under the burden of shame, that shame covers them like a mantle, whether because of mental illness, whether because of their battle with stress and the shame that they felt they're not strong enough or good enough or not able to cope. I want to, in Jesus' name today, break the power of that shame in people's lives. I want to break any demonic force that might be pushing that shame and pushing them into further despair over their lives. 
And I want to ask by the spirit that you have given us, that spirit of love, that spirit of power, and that spirit of wise discretion, of self-discipline, that you empower them. I break off shame over people today in Jesus' name. Thank you that you love us, Lord, and that you know us. For those here watching online at the sound of my voice that are battling with stress, won't you give us wisdom? Won't you give us strategy? And won't you give us peace in our hearts and in our minds? This is my prayer in Jesus' name. God bless you this week. May his face shine upon you. And may you have peace of mind in Jesus' name.